Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Becky Brown. I'm one of the associate pastors here at First United Methodist Church in Waynesville, North Carolina. You're about to listen to the sermon from worship this week. You can also watch this service online through our YouTube channel. You can just search FUMC Waynesville on YouTube or join us in person at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. every Sunday. Thanks for listening, and we hope this sermon challenges, inspires, and invigorates your faith. May God bless you. It was the spring of 2004. I left my family, Chan and our four kids, in an ice and snow-covered Lithuania. It was a frozen tundra, and I I came uh, home to the States to attend a Walk to Emmaus event. And while I was home stateside, I stayed with my wife Chan's parents uh, in Florida. That didn't go over so well with my frozen family who were longing to be with me, Uh, but it was just really a nice stay. And while I was with them, they said, "Uh, you've got to go see uh, this movie. It was uh, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie. And so I decided one day that I would would just go to the movie all by myself. I drove to Orlando and uh, middle of the day, I'm not sure if I've ever done that in my whole life, and I was the only one in the theater. And so I was excited. I had my popcorn and a Coca-Cola. I even bought a box of, of Milk Duds. And it was just like this movie paradise. But all that changed when the movie started. All that joy changed when they began flogging Jesus. You know, the Romans were experts at causing pain. And I've heard a description and even seen uh, a whip that would have been like the one they used. Sometimes they would attach things to it, stones. Um, Someone said that they would even attach fish hooks to the whip that they used to to scourge people. This was the, the scourging that Jesus got. And to see it on the big screen... It was about all I could take. Um, Like you look at that person when they're done and it's like, well, that person's dead. Um, And and yet they're not dead. And and not only what the Romans did to to Jesus was not just this physical pain and and physical torture, um, but it was emotional torture too. So as Mark tells the story, it says that they, they brought Jesus into this, this courtyard of the palace, and the whole cohort was there. A Roman cohort was anywhere from 300 to, to 600 soldiers. And so these soldiers are in this place, and the first thing that they do is they strip Jesus naked. So think about that for a second. Naked in front of all of these soldiers, and, and they're mocking him. They're, they're bowing down, uh, hail King Jesus. They, they start spitting on him. So there he is in all this vulnerability, no clothes on, in front of hundreds of Roman soldiers, you know, just geared up uh, in all of of their uh, military might and their military strength. Just an hour later, when Jesus is on the cross, uh, people are mocking him too. Um, uh, Mark tells us that those who pass by once Jesus is on the cross, They derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He, he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Uh, those who were crucified with him, they also were taunting him. Jesus was getting this, this humiliation from every angle. And, and there he is, um, beaten down, these Roman soldiers, completely powerless. And I began thinking about that. Like, was he really powerless? I mean, the Jesus that, that we believe in, um, the, the stories that, that, that we share and, and that are in the Gospels, like, Jesus was a powerful man. That's why so many people followed him. Like, he would touch someone and they would no longer be lame. He would spit in someone's eyes and now they could miraculously see. There are the stories in the Gospels of, of Jesus being in a storm on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and just speaking a word. Like, God who spoke at creation and all of creation obeyed and the storm is calmed. Uh, that, that Jesus walked on the sea. Um, he had this great power, and yet he didn't do anything about it. I thought about, you know, after Jesus' baptism, the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness uh, to, uh, to be tempted. Or while he's there for 40 days and 40 nights, he's tempted. I'm actually in the Judean wilderness now, and um, the, the Mount of Temptation is just right over there. That place where the devil, who knew Jesus' power, tempts him to these things, mocks him, actually, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. There, there are stones all over, like these kinds of stones, as far as you can see. Like, if he were to turn these stones to bread, uh, there would be no world hunger. He, he would not only satisfy his own hunger, but he could feed the world. Uh, that was a pretty serious temptation. Uh, the tempter said to Jesus, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Uh, you'll have all of this power. Um, and then uh, he says, if you, if you throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple, uh, the angels of God will save you, they'll protect you. Uh, that was a temptation that was exactly the opposite of what he's going through now with, with these Roman soldiers. Like all of the world would know that you're king and, and would know that you're powerful. But you know, Jesus didn't give in because he knew the path that God had for him. And that wasn't the path he was to take. You know, the, the violence, it puts a spotlight on our human situation, on the human predicament, um, human depravity, really. And the hard thing for us to, to really grasp or accept maybe is that it's not it's not just the, the soldiers and and the violent mob like this darkness like it it, it creeps on us too like it, it creeps on uh, the best of us I remember when Chan and I and our four kids were in in Lithuania serving as missionaries there was a what they called the Ninth Fort, and it had, had been a, a prison. It had, it had been used by the, the Nazis. It had been used by the, the Soviets for a long time. There's a lot of history with this Ninth Fort. But, but one of the things when we visited this museum, 
that, that just really horrified me was like during the, during the Nazi time, they, they gathered up almost every single Jewish person, man, woman, and child uh, in, in Kaunas, Lithuania, and they brought them to that fort. And they dug these gigantic trenches and they lined them up along the trenches. And well, well you know what they did. It was, a, it was just this mass execution. Well, I knew all about that horror. Um, but what the guide said as we were touring through this that just literally blew my mind was um, that year, the, the Lithuanian national basketball team, they won something. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I tried to Google it to see what did that, what did that national team, uh, what was their big victory? And I couldn't find anything. But what he said was the reward to the basketball team for winning this big game was to bring them to the ninth Ford while these human beings were lined up on the edge of this pit and they handed them the guns and they did it. They, they took the reward. And now we're here in Bethlehem and, you know, we have such great and deep sympathy and horror and compassion for um, just the, the history that the Jewish people have gone through. And, but then to see the Palestinian people here in Bethlehem and they're like literally walled in and we, we go into the, the walled off museum and we see this Banksy art. It's his protest art. It like shows, you know, one of his famous ones is, is, is a guy, instead of throwing a hand grenade, he's, he's throwing flowers and, and just that kind of stuff. Just bringing uh, awareness to the fact that human beings are hurting other human beings. And sometimes it's even human beings who have gone through hell and horror themselves. I am. Um, I was running with Gavin Brown the other day before we left on our, our trip to the Holy Land. And Gavin had gone to the, to the play, uh, the Children of Eden at the Heart Theater. And, and like um, our guys are in the play, Henry Blackburn and Savannah Shaw and, and Ruthie Collins and Tristan Johnson and there's others. Um, and Gavin, he, he said something like, we are all sons and daughters of Cain. John, John Steinbeck, uh, in, his, in his book, uh, East of Eden, this, this is a, a quote. Steinbeck says, maybe we all have in us a secret pond where evil and ugly things germinate and grow strong. But this culture is fenced and the swimming brood climbs up only to fall back. Might it not be that in the dark pools of some men, the evil grows strong enough to wriggle over the fence? and swim free like we know this to be true that the darkness wriggles over the fence and like we know it because we've experienced it we've been harmed we've been victimized and we've been abused we're scared we're humiliated like jesus we feel dehumanized like this is the thing a lot of times we're the ones causing the pain. We're the ones doing the violence in one way or another. And that's why Jesus didn't resist. That's why Jesus allowed the soldiers and the crowds and all of this to, to work the way it did, even though he may have had the power to overcome them in some way, he didn't. It's because of us. The reason Jesus didn't resist, the reason Jesus didn't take the, the, 
the, the wine that's mixed with myrrh, the drugged wine that, that, would, that would ease the pain is because he knew he had to drink the cup that his father had given him. And the reality is, is that Jesus is suffering in death, although it's mysterious and it's hard to understand and theologians debate that, even debate the depravity of man and where it comes from. Jesus is suffering and death, like it, it saved humanity. This sacrificial love saved us. And this sacrificial love, like it, it continues to this day. Like it doesn't end. Fred, Fred Craddock gives this illustration. And, and it speaks to this, you know, we want to do that big thing. Like here's my whole life in confirmation class, George Thompson, as we talk about the martyrs through the, the dark ages and the middle ages and these Christian people who suffer and even give their lives for other people. George always likes to bring it forward. And he tells the story of Riley Howe, uh, how our very own Riley Howe literally gave his life in this horrific situation. And he gave his life and everybody else in that classroom that missed a bullet, like he gave his life for them. And Craddock's illustration says, it's not always like that. Like Riley, he says like going to the bank, like we give God, here's a thousand dollars. You know, I want to give my life to you in this big thing. It's like, yeah, uh, that's there. And that's awesome. But, but Craddock's like, usually, most often, God tells us to take that thousand dollars to the bank and and cash it in for quarters and it's like every single day we're giving a quarter here and a quarter there we're helping this homeless person we're, we're speaking a word uh, to, to this person in our family it's this commitment to live each day with this kind of sacrificial love i want to end with with what george yates what george yates said in in our Lenten devotional I, I brought it with us on this trip it was my first, it was our hour as a group, our first Sunday here, uh, first morning here in Bethlehem. And George says, maybe what's holding us back is the belief that we can't, we can't possibly live as Jesus lived. And while this belief that we can't live as Jesus lived might hold a bit of validity, maybe we just need to realize that what's even more valid is that Jesus believes we can. Amen.